Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a at a point right now where they're I think clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history, uh, and we got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. This league is insane. Yeah, it might be like one of those eight wonders of the world. <laughs> and you can see just what a great group of five conference it really is. It, it's a big deal. Boy, life is looking pretty good in the Sun Belt these days. Welcome back to the Fun Belt Podcast. With me, as always, is Dusty Thibodeau from the Warhawk Report. And not joining us again is Ben Moore. He's, wait, Ben Moore is here. Dusty. Ben Moore is back in the studio recording uh, with us at Funbell Podcast. I don't believe you. Okay. No, I mean, he's here. Listen he hasn't been talk. here in, in, in I couldn't tell you how long we 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 already had a help wanted sign posted trying to backfill that position. Yeah. Um we didn't have any applicants, so so you know I, though who would have been a great filler for Ben. I know there's only one Ben Moore. But if we could have gotten uh uh, Commissioner Gill to be the permanent third man. I think he would do it. I don't think he would. I think he's got bigger and better things, Jeremy, than, than oh. talking to us two goons. All right, let me throw out another candidate. Kane Womack. He is always welcome back on the show. <laughs> I know. He is your new favorite guy, I know. I, I could see the synergy you had with Kane. The moment he came on, it's like you two were bros. You guys were, were were bros in a pod, just chatting football, strategies, X's and O's, life. You guys really hit it off. I was impressed. It was like watching, it was like going to Silver Dollar City and watching those master craftsmen at work. But instead of some watching somebody like make a horseshoe or a basket, I saw a friendship being forged in the crucible of, of football. And it was a beautiful sight to behold. Isn't it great this first year that I think, I feel like we've all kind of broadened our horizons. Ooh. Oh, okay. In that y'all have now coined me as an honorary uh, boob cat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We all love Kane Womack. We do. Yeah. I think our favorite player is probably Jake Bentley and Jalen Tolbert. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, maybe uh, 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 Boogie Knight, you know, we can put him up in that that echelon there, too. Yeah. And, and you know, as, as as much as we broaden our horizons, some things are still the same, like Arkansas State still beat ULM. Yeah, that's true. Our, what, our only FBS win. Thank you for that. My Christmas gift to you. <laughs> Yes, speaking of Christmas, it is almost Christmas time, which means one thing and one thing only, to, for us anyway, and that is Sun Belt Bowl season, because we usually get our stuff wrapped up by Christmas time. And we've already had three games, and the first game was pretty wild, went down to the wire. It was pretty crazy. I believe there was a uh, an official's call that might might have sort of tampered with the outcome, but it was Coastal Carolina coming away with the victory. I only got to see parts of it because it ended out so late and I'm an old man. So maybe you guys can fill in the blanks for me. What the hell happened in the end? Uh, madness, I will say. And, and a statement uh, from the from the MAC uh, and officiating saying that there was a potential error uh, you know, there and and, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I think it's it was no better uh, way to kind of kick off the fun belt uh, bowl season, quite honestly, than a little bit of shenanigans. Right. You know, yeah. you had uh, big time offense, which we know Coastal is known for. Uh, you had some turnovers there that obviously uh, allowed the chance to come back in there. But they were uh, really, really impressive. And uh, then the whispers. Around, around the Twitterverse is that, uh, you know, Grayson McCall's potentially last game was, is he coming back? He really hasn't said 100% leaning one way or the other, but uh, yeah, you had, um, you, you had a guy go out of bounds. Maybe, maybe he didn't, maybe he completed the, the catch. Maybe he didn't. 
Um, the officials were holding the ball uh, right, right there at the end. And, and uh, basically the time expired and exhausted. And uh, you, you saw uh, Coastal Carolina escape the MAC champions, the Northern Illinois Huskies, uh, there in the Tail Greeter Cure Bowl down in Orlando. So uh, pretty, pretty fun start. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the back and forth and, and uh, you know, just uh, seeing the Northern Illinois rushing attack. Holy smokes. They just lined it up and run right at you. And here it comes Northern to Illinois. Stop. Northern Illinois, always a tough program, forged in, in, the, in, the, in the cold of the north, and they're always just a tough football team. But Tibbs, was it a little bit surprising? I mean, we talked about these bowl games prior to the bowl games being played, and we just felt like Coastal Carolina was going to beat this team handedly. That didn't happen. What do you think happened? Uh, it depends on who you ask. You know, everyone's going to blame that last bit of spotting the ball, starting the clock too early. I never think that it really comes down to a, a single play nah. and things like that. Because in the first quarter, I'm sure you had a drop ball or right. a missed interception, a missed tackle that went for a bigger play than that. It's never going to come down to that one single play. Just like when a kicker misses a field goal, a PAT, that's not what that's not what cost that not what lost you the game. It could win you the game, but it's not necessarily what lost the game. And so I, I think a lot of people focus too much on that one particular play. Yes, I think that the clock did start too early. I think that the Huskies should have had one play with a second or two seconds left. Probably they score. Maybe they drop it. Maybe there's a sack. Who knows? But it was a great game and a great way to kick off the Sunbelt Bowl games. Both teams, they combined for a, over 1,000 yards, and there were only two punts in the game. Only two. And they were both in the second half by the Shants. So we see that. If you like action, now that was the one for you to kick it, to kick it right off me. I know the middle, middle Tennessee state and Toledo opened it up, but uh, that was, that was an appetizer for sure. And, and um, you know, <laughs> even Northern Illinois quarterback, the only turnover in the game, and you mentioned the punch, the only turnover in the game was Northern Illinois uh, quarterback sprinting for a first down and, 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 uh, and uh, getting the ball knocked out there and, and uh, cost, cost Northern Illinois there. But then they, they rise right back up, get a stop, and, and have an opportunity to win the game. So uh, a lot, lot of fun there and, and certainly a, uh, a, a much-needed uh, you know, point in the win column there for the, for the Sun Belt. But controversy aside, it was a win for the Sun Belt. We can notch that in. The next game that was on the slate was a game that I expected Appalachian State – that looking back, I, I, I probably should have seen the warning signs, but I expected Appalachian State to take care of Western Kentucky. But here are the warning signs. If you do beat Appalachian State, you beat them through the air. You've got to pick on that secondary. I'm not saying their secondary is easy, but that's really the, the softest part of Appalachian State is picking them apart through the air. And if you're going to pick them apart through the air, why not with a program like Western Kentucky? with Bailey Zappi just throwing zaps across the field. I think he had six touchdowns in this game. It was an astonishing thing to watch. And at one point, I, I, I got onto the Twitters. I said, you know what? Appalachian State, as a team, is one of the best, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, second-half adjustment teams I've ever seen. They, they always seem to come back at the second half with a new plan, and then they just dominate. And I fully expected that to happen in the second half of the Boca Bowl. And it was just the opposite. Western Kentucky just hammered them in the second half. Tibbs, what happened? You know what it reminds me of is, is back, back in the days when we could actually play NCAA football on yeah. PlayStation, uh -huh. Xbox. Yeah. And it'd be like, Jeremy, I beat you so bad. I threw for 400 yards and six touchdowns. And you're like, those, those are, are not real numbers. numbers. Yeah, no, that's that what we see in a game. That no one does that, but Zappy did, and I mean, he he just made it look easy against the Appalachian State. Appalachian State really looked. We talked last week about Appalachian State was either going to come out on fire trying to prove themselves yep. and get moved past that Louisiana Lafayette loss in the Sun Belt title game, or they were going to kind of fold it up. They didn't exactly fold it up, but they were not really the Appalachian State of old that we saw throughout the season. Now, by the time the fourth quarter hit, the 
I felt like Appalachian State looked cooked. Uh, you know, they came back a couple times to draw it within two touchdowns, and then Bailey Zappi would just toss another touchdown and just another another nail in that coffin. What did you see, Ben? Did you see any of this one? Yeah, I mean, I did. And, and honestly, Chase Bryce didn't play terrible. No. Uh, you know, 317 yards, four touchdowns, did throw the one pick. Um, you know, but, but I think, you know, to you guys' point, I mean, you just couldn't, you know, stop Western Kentucky's offense at all. And, um, you know, rolling up 637 yards is just crazy. Uh, as you mentioned, it does, it's, it's video game style numbers. And it wasn't like they were, you know, completely one dimensional either. I mean, they, they rushed for over 200 yards on App State's defense. The thing I agree with you, I, you know, I was concerned. I saw uh, before the game, uh, App State defensive back Sean Jolly said that he's uh, going ahead and declaring and uh, opting out of the bowl game. I knew that was going to be a pretty big loss there. And as you guys mentioned, if you beat App, you're going to hit them through the air. Um, well, that's the one thing that Western Kentucky does exceptionally well. And uh, it absolutely was the Bailey Sappy show. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's uh, didn't help, obviously, you know, that, that app turned the ball over four times, too, uh, in, in the game. And I think my takeaway, too, we, we heard the rumblings that Chase Bryce will be returning. How bad did he uh, he hurt himself? You know, we saw, obviously, he got hit by a couple guys uh, there in the fourth quarter. Um, and uh, Huseman had to come back in there late. Uh, hopefully that's not a bad injury for him, and he's able to, you know, recover and, and, and get back. Um, but, uh, yeah, just uh, definitely a little bit of a, a rough, uh, you know, one-two uh, punch to knock, knock App State's 2021 season out. And, and obviously, saw some displeasure on, on social media first as well yeah. uh, with Sean Clark and, and that way with the 10-4 and four season, which is uh, to, to all, all three of us, uh, we, we'd love a 10-win season. Uh, yeah, that, 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 would that, that would be a record. <laughs> now, for what it's worth, Chase Bryce did get on onto the Twitters and – and say that he that he was preparing for next season to have a great next season. So who knows what that means? He, you know, he, that that can go one of the other ways. But it felt like he was planning on returning back. But maybe the emotion wears off, and that that isn't what happens. But yeah, Bryce had a good game for a while. It was a battle of two great quarterbacks, and it was just destiny for Zappy. Tibbs, what do you think? Way in. Chase Bryce will be back next year, just because he wants to try to come in. And, and redeem himself and push the Mountaineers over the top. It's one game. It's a postseason. I really like the idea that people have floated of you get to play in a bowl game and it doesn't burn your red shirt. So that really they kind of become less meaningful, but at the same time, give you a little sneak peek of what your team's going to look like next year. Cause right now we could sit here and, and try to, decide on what our teams are going to look like next year no one knows but I, I think this kind of gives also those guys that are red shirting uh, a little pat on the back for not being able to play this year in the games still having to go through the practices go through all the workouts let them play so when I went to bed last night the uh, Cajuns were down a little bit to Marshall uh, Marshall was playing the Cajuns pretty tough in the first half. Uh, and as it finished out the night, the Cajuns were once again hoisting that New Orleans Bowl trophy. I don't know how many New Orleans Bowls the Cajuns have won, but it seems like 100. It seems like they owe – it should be called the Cajun Bowl. It really should. It was a good win for the Sun Belt, but it was also like one of those – Hey, Marshall, welcome to the Sun Belt, you punks. Thibodeau, you stayed up late into the night to watch this. Tell me what you saw. Uh, I might have seen the back of my eyelids a couple times. But <laughs> when they were so open, the, the biggest takeaway that I had from that game was Rasheen Ali, the running back for Marshall. Mm, yeah, he's good. That guy is going to be a beast in the Sun Belt. He is incredibly fast and incredibly – explosive runner through the line feet do not stop. They kept talking about how he had not really played football until I believe it was halfway through his high school career. Other than that, he was a boxer and he definitely has the, the feet of Ali, no pun intended there as he ran all over the Cajuns for three touchdowns and 160 yards, including his first touch of the game was a 63 yard score. It was impressive though, that the Cajuns, Never had that panic. 
And, and, and you would have expected while they're kind of in flux with their coaching staff that maybe once Marshall took that initial lead that, oh, God, you know, Napier's gone. We don't know what to do. We're not going to win. Calm, cool, and collective. And, and hats off to new head coach uh, Michael DeZormo and, and kind of keeping the troops rolling and, and picking up a, an incredible 13th win. And, and what was even crazier – and I asked this of y'all, which is crazier, the fact that they have 13 wins or that it was 13 straight that they were able to rattle off? Uh, you know, that first, that only thing that, 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 that smudges that record is that opening game against Texas where they didn't play terrific, but they didn't play bad. And then they had to work their way back into the top 25 all season long. And they did it in a way that was so workmanlike. It was like a lot of one-score wins, kind of like what they did with Marshall, where they, they don't dominate. They just get out there. They don't worry. They don't panic. They just do their job. It was Levi Lewis's final game. I don't know if we'll, we'll see him at the next level. I don't know if he's that kind of talent. But it was a pretty great game for him. But, yeah, I don't know the answer to that, Tibbs. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, anytime you can win 13 straight ball games, I think it's extremely impressive, no matter what the margin. And as we talked about all season, it wasn't like they were, you know, overwhelming teams at all. They, they were, uh, you know, seemingly kind of just, you know, sliding by at times, doing enough of the other things late to, to kind of inch by. You know, they had a comeback win against Georgia State. They had a really uh, close game against Nichols. And you're, you're scratching and going, all right, well, how good is this team? And all of a sudden you look up, uh, and, and the same thing happened kind of in this game as well. I mean, you, you saw Marshall take a, you know, a, a 21-16 lead uh, going into the fourth quarter. And then here comes Levi Lewis doing what he does and, and hitting the gas pedal. But uh, I agree with what you guys, and, and you know, Ali is a freshman. Uh, also, their quarterback Grant Wells, who I you know talked about a few weeks ago, uh, you know previewing this game, uh, is also a freshman. Uh, uh, credit to the Louisiana uh, Raging Cajuns defensive team because they they made him look like a freshman in a lot of ways. Uh, he looked he looked kind of confused. Didn't really have a very good game. Uh, less than a hundred yards passing. Uh, but uh, both those are two guys, obviously on Marshall squad, that have a bright bright future uh, that will have an you know opportunity to impact the Sun Belt. But no huge. Huge win and uh, sending off those 20 plus seniors, as Jay Walker told us, um, you know, that they're they're a very uh, senior heavy team and, and, uh, you know, they haven't been frightened by anything this season and 13 straight wins is incredible. You know, I saw Ali play uh, when they played Appalachian State early in the year and you knew right away that that guy was going to be a superstar and he was trouble for Appalachian State then. So to see him be the same amount of trouble against the Cajuns makes me worry about having to face him for, it'll probably feel like years and years and years to come. So who we got next? We got one more bowl game, right? Yeah. And, and you know, what's great about this game, it's Christmas. So that gives us an excuse to kind of slip away while we're off at uh, family functions to uh, get a little break. Where's Jeremy? I don't know. Is he in the bathroom? He's been there for two hours. That's what's going but on. the bigger thing, it guarantees that the Sun Belt will go at least two and two in bowl games, sitting currently at two and one, one game left. To me, that's huge. The fact that we can still stay at 500, if not jump up to do a, a three and one record there in the postseason. That's huge. Huge. Yeah. Man, it wasn't always that way. I mean, it used to be. Uh when the Sun Belt was in the postseason, that was usually going to be a loss. Uh, I think Georgia State has a huge opportunity to make Ball State look pretty silly. But you know what? I felt like that way about Appalachian State, Western Kentucky. So I feel a little shaken by my resolve. And then I, you know, but also what shook me was Coastal Carolina just sort of narrowly winning their game. It's like, are, is the Sun Belt really as good? Or are these postseason games just kind of wild, crazy games that you're just not, 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 you're not, not going to know what you're going to get? I know that CUSA didn't win any postseason games last year. This season, they're having a pretty good postseason. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I don't know if you can even measure what the postseason means, bowl games means when it comes to grading the conference overall. 
think it really comes down to matchups too. It's what, what I think the teams do well. I mean, we, we talked about that already, obviously with the Western Kentucky and App State game, that was not a good matchup for App State uh, because the thing that Western Kentucky does overwhelmingly well is throw the football and, and App has, uh, has struggled to do that. Um, you know, to, to defend it. I think it's very interesting in this, in this, uh, you know, matchup on Christmas, because uh, we know George is going to want to run the football. They're, they're going to want to line it up and, and run the ball, uh, get up, get up to the high forties, even low fifties and just come right at you. Um, you know, with Tucker, Greg, Jamias Williams, and then even quarterback, Darren Granger. Uh, the one fun uh, fact that popped out this week from this game as well is uh, this will be the final game for offensive coordinator, Brad Glenn at Georgia state. Uh, he has been plucked by Virginia Tech, uh, his new head coach, Brent Pry. So he'll be headed to Blacksburg uh, first part of January. He will be coaching in this game, uh, but then obviously Coach Elliott will have a have a new offensive coordinator in that. But, uh, yeah, Georgia State is favored in the game, uh, expected to win the game. And um, I, I think it's, it's you know, really going to come down to, you know, Georgia State defense slowing Ball State's offense that just has not been great this season. They've, they've struggled to score points at times. This year, they've been in games, but they've been kind of a roller coaster. And I think the Panthers uh, have been playing really, really well, uh, especially the last uh, last you know, month and a half of the season, basically, winning six out of the last seven. So they have some momentum going in there and uh, are as healthy as probably they've been in quite a while. And uh, final game for about 20 uh, seniors as well, uh, and some folks that are not only super seniors, but seniors as well. So they've been in this, they've, they've, you know, this is their third bowl game in four seasons. So, um, opportunity to make history as well for the Panthers, uh, to go win their program best eighth game, which would be a huge, uh, another building block for, uh, for coach Elliott in this program. All right. You know, I speak for dusty when I say we're holding you Ben Moore accountable for the Sunbelt win. We don't want to go two and two. We want to go three and one. And if what a winning record, happen, I agree. Ben, if this doesn't happen, you're going to have to answer some tough questions from us. I, I will be fully prepared to do it. I'm, I'm expecting a W. I'll, I'll say that that much. <laughs> Montgomery, right. I'm, ready, I'm ready to embrace Montgomery fully and uh, ready to bring the Panthers home win. And we will catch up on the next Fun Belt podcast and talk about that victorious GSU. <laughs> uh, Ben will opt out that that podcast if if the Panthers do not pull it off. Just but just just throwing that out there that he will opt. But, out. but Ben will definitely be on early if they if they win and win listen, I, I will I will <laughs> not fail if that happens. If if the if listen, ball is not a state. Okay, I'm just saying that. So we're we're gonna figure this out. Um, Georgia is the state, and we're gonna we're gonna figure this out and hammer it out and. And uh, I think the Panthers uh, do what they. Hey, those those guys are some sensitive fans. If Ben, if you run into some Ball State guys, I mean, really, I'm serious. They 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 don't want you making fun of their chirp chirp thing, or or the fact that they're named Ball or any of that. They don't want they don't want to hear that from you. I learned that the hard way. So so just be careful around those Ball State guys. They're they're tough Mac guys that probably all have a hunting rifle in the backseat of their car. So just be careful. All right, before we talk a little bit about basketball, Thibodeau, and, and Ben Moore, I, 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 an outsider in this process, had a question for you in terms of recruiting. It's something that Ben had said a couple weeks ago, and it's been sticking in my head, and I haven't had, gotten around to ask him about it. I don't know if you're doing the same thing, Dusty, but, but Ben, you had talked about you ended up sometimes grading uh, uh, recruits or grading high school kids. You don't grade high school kids. Okay, I thought you had great. Our, our, our national team does, but um, we we we, are, we do provide input. You know, we we have guys you know that, that will come. Uh, you know, whether they be Sunbelt recruits, and and to our credit too, and 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 in our system for twenty four seven, we don't have everybody in the system, obviously. So you know, jumped in there with Texas State and and uh, you know Monroe and, and and a few other schools that George Southern currently does not have a have a twenty four seven site. So being able to. Uh, update their recruits as of course it was early signing day this past Wednesday, uh, making sure to get everybody's list as updated as possible um, and finding that not only for, for Sunbelt bragging rights, uh, which Arkansas State certainly uh, took home uh, those on Wednesday sure. and moving forward, I'm sure. Um, but I, you know, more than anything else, the process of grading and, and look, I, I, I'm very forthcoming with all of it, whether it's, you know, high school or, or junior college or everything, it's impossible. It's an impossible job, um, that a lot of these 
folks have uh, to grade as many prospects as they have. I think all of the recruiting services do an excellent job at the top, you know, 250 to 300 or so recruits. When you get further down into the group of five, it becomes more difficult. How do you say, hey, this is the 185th linebacker and which is 186? Um, you know, it, it does factor in that. Um, and obviously now with the transfer portal, you know, you have guys who are highly ranked and highly thought of out of high school signing with bigger schools. They don't play at all uh, or, or play very sparingly and then transfer to a group of five program. We've seen that um, in the last two cycles tremendously. We talked about it, of course, with Texas State. Uh, Georgia State did that. They dipped into the portal to go get a quarterback from University of Memphis, for example. So um, it was a guy who was a the high three-star guy. Yep. Um, so you're seeing every program do it. South Alabama obviously has done it as well, the transfer portal. So I think it's it's kind of difficult to see those ratings all the way through. Um, but, you know, it's, it's the challenge. And, and I think it's something, uh, again, that will continue to you know be an evolution uh, in, in all the, you know, basically all the respected uh, databases and, and things like that between rivals and ESPN and 24-7 and now on three. So those the people who do make those calls about uh, determining the composite, the grades and whatever, is that mostly based on film? I mean, are there people actually going and visiting high schools and getting in the stands and seeing seeing these these prospects for themselves? A little bit of both and also the summer camps, seven on seven camps, but a a lot of film study. But a, a lot of the guys that are, say, your four and five star, they have been seen, felt touched so to say at a camp but yeah. three star you could get away with kind of the secondary hearsay oh yeah i saw them at a camp as opposed to that national guy actually see you feel touching that that kid the size player factor like if you have a quarterback and you got one that's five eight and one that's six two does that does that play in for rating i believe it does i mean i, I you know there was um, I got caught some feedback. Uh, you know, there was a one of the Georgia State uh, running backs that signed this past Wednesday in Willow in January, uh, a little bit on the shorter side, about 5'8", 175 pounds, um, second in the nation in rushing uh, yards this <laughs> season, and uh, I think second or third in, in, in touchdowns. Had over 3,000 yards as a senior in 15 games in the state championship in South Carolina. Uh, was a finalist for Mr. Football. Uh, if he's 5'11", he's probably got power five offers and certainly uh, <laughs> yeah. could potentially be even higher. Um, the one thing that I was able to do and went back to our national guys and asked them, hey, check out his tape from September, October versus, you know, toward the end of the season in the state championship game. And, and, and was very fortunate just on the relationships and begging, really, just saying, hey, look at this again and, and see if there's a difference and got some great feedback on that. And, and again, I, I think the toughest part about it, these evaluators are, are, like I mentioned, in an impossible, you know, route. I mean, um, unless you're a top end, high end guy and one of the, you know, to me, some of the positions uh, are so difficult. An offensive lineman, for example, you know, unless you're so physically dominant of a guy, how how well do you know? I, I didn't play offensive line. I don't know don't know the ins and the outs from that. So, I mean, to Dusty's point, you're going to need it from a camp evaluation. This guy versus this guy. Okay, well, that guy, you know, had a better day today. Um, things like that. Um, also, you know, competition level matters, right? You know, we're seeing you know some some yeah. guys dominate at level. Um, guys that go up into the higher A, 5A, 6A, 7A in some of these states. Um, I think another thing as well with junior colleges, how well do you, you know, we know some of the Mississippi junior colleges are very strong. California junior colleges are pretty strong. Uh, some of the Midwest as well. So um, you just kind of have to base that on there and and, and the film there. I, I tell people all the time that the highest rated uh, prospect ever for Georgia State was a quarterback by the name of Clay Chastain. Uh, was a guy basically that dominated multiple military prep schools, threw for a bunch of yards to power five guys, came in and uh, never took a snap at quarterback and became a uh, well-known as a holder on special teams. That was his claim to fame as a, uh, as a high three star. So uh, still, still up to coach Elliott and that staff to replace him and knock him off that, uh, that perch. But uh, the great Clay Chastain gets a mention for the first time on the fun belt. Podcast. And I will top you with that, that your highest rated prospect was at least a quarterback ulm's highest ever rated player josh allen center not josh allen the the quarterback that's now playing for the buffalo he went to wyoming 
He went to Wyoming. No, no, okay, yeah, yeah. Josh okay. Allen, that last I heard, was playing on the scout team for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it is funny. Like one of our one, at A State, one of our uh, highest rated picks ever was a guy named uh, Philip Butterfield, was a quarterback out of Lake Hamilton, Arkansas. Had a bunch of P5 offers. You know how it goes. You, you wait a little bit too long, and then pretty soon people are telling you, no, we already filled the position. Ended up at Arkansas State. Played maybe a handful of snaps. It was it was like one of those things where you kept waiting for Phil Butterfield. It'd be, this is the year for Phil Butterfield. Everybody get excited. Phil Butterfield's going to take over. And then it just never happened. Big four-star guy. You know, it's just like, well, this guy, this is going to be uh, one of these guys that is really going to transcend the program. It just doesn't happen. Now he's an announcer for Arkansas State. Yeah, I mean, he still loves Arkansas State, still makes a, a big contribution. I think he's a financial planner now. But his career, even as a four-star, just never took off. So, yeah, this, the grading, you know, it's, 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 it's great for those, for those early signing periods when you can add it all up and say, oh, well, A-State had a good, had a good uh, uh, recruiting day. But in the end, it's got to perform on the field. Speaking of performing, but not on the field, we're talking about on the court. Basketball is wrapping up the out-of-conference. I want to ask both of you. Tibbs, how do you feel about ULL? Um, I think they're still kind of a question mark. They, mm. They're hot at home. They've won five and they're five and0 this year at home. Mm-hmm. They are seven and0 dating back to last year at home. Big win yesterday. Big win yesterday over a really bad Southern Miss team, but but still great on paper. Yeah, I gotta win that game. I I I question what they do on the road, and they I believe they do tip off on the road for Sun Belt Conference action. Get a little bit of a preview on Monday night when they travel to. Beaumont, Texas, to play the Wax Lamar Cardinals. Yeah, Lamar always a Sunbelt foe. Always a Sunbelt foe, dating back to the old Southland Conference matchups. I think that it's a winnable game, and I think that that might be what kind of gives them the confidence that they can play on the road and get those big wins. But so far, even though they had a loss over the weekend, I still think South Alabama is the most complete team in the league right now. Yeah, they are seen. They see, do seem to play a, a big brand of basketball that that gives you confidence when you watch them play. But one of the teams going into the season that we thought was going to be uh, maybe the top tier team is Georgia State, and maybe they still are. But I'd like to get your your vision, Ben, more of what's going on with Georgia State right now. Are they ready for Sun Belt play? And if so, how well are they going to do? Yeah, it's been been pretty disappointing, quite quite candidly. Uh, throwing out the uh, non-division one teams and the the final non-division one uh, victory yesterday against the the, the uh, screaming uh, Eagles of uh, Tacoa Falls up in the uh, North Georgia Mountains. There, uh, they're three and four against Division one competition, uh, one and four uh, away from uh, the Georgia State Sports Arena, and it's been very very even uh, still not completely healthy, missing, um, you know, all Sunbelt center, Eliel Sassemi uh, to a knee injury. Uh, I'm hearing he probably won't be back until January. So he, it's nice. very likely he will miss the, the, the uh, first portion, at least of Sunbelt play, which is a, uh, is a big loss. He's an energetic guy. Uh, one of the top offensive rebounders in the country and a big presence at 6'9", 230 in the middle. Um, the Panthers also, uh, lost one of their backup guards, Jordan Rawls, who was a, a former four-star guy from Western Kentucky. He jumped in the transfer portal yesterday, so he's he's gone as well. So um, things are, are not great. Uh, a, a short trip uh, just right up the road. I believe two of the closest Division One teams uh, in the nation, uh, Georgia Tech and Georgia State, uh, are scheduled to tackle on Tuesday night. Uh, uh-huh. Tech uh, played Cal. Uh, yesterday, unfortunately, Southern Cal popped out today with some COVID issues. So uh, we're still waiting word if we're going to be making that trip uh, on Tuesday evening, nine o'clock on the ACC network for those interested in tuning in. But um, yeah, this team's not uh, not doing doing great. Uh, they're just up and down, not shooting the basketball very well. Um, you know, it's one of those one of those things as well. Getting getting just blasted 
on the road, giving up a ton of threes. And that's the one thing, um, you know, Rob Lanier's teams had done pretty well in, in the previous two seasons was defend, uh, you know, the, the exterior. And that was you know, kind of a staple of, of Ron Hunter's teams as well. If you had to go and beat, you know, a, a Ron Hunter or Georgia State team, you had to hit a bunch of threes, right? Uh, well, teams are certainly doing that um, this season and, and uh, you know, already out of conference losses, uh, blowout losses um, at Richmond, at Mississippi State. And uh, you know, I think the in-state game, if it does happen on Tuesday, uh, has an opportunity as well. Georgia Tech has lost four straight games. They have not looked good doing it. Uh, they don't score points, and, and it would be certainly a huge um, you know, potential launch point for the Sun Belt's you know, conference schedule uh, to get some in-state bragging rights, it's, as this would be the third straight win for GSU over Georgia Tech. So um, something uh, something needed, and uh, but I agree with you. They're still kind of trying to find find their way. Uh, South Alabama has been really impressive. Texas State, in my view, has been very impressive. And another team that I've been very disappointed in, and I talked them up all off as well as uh, I, I thought the Raging Cages were going to really uh, pick it up and, and be stronger. They can't win away from home either. And um, as as the great lefty Giselle says, good teams win on the road. And uh, we've seen that at the top of the conference. Teams that have won, on the com- uh, won so far and out of conference play, they have, uh, have a sparkling record. And those have not, they are sitting down below. To be fair, I was at that Louisiana Lafayette when they played against a top 20 team, Houston. I don't know if it was real fair in that game. And considering that the Cajuns had two players that were out due to injury or being held out so that they can get better for the conference games. There were times the Cajuns looked really good. There were times they looked really bad. And, and so I don't know if they are playing up to their potential right now as well. I, I, I think that they might kind of be in the same boat as ULM where you just don't know what kind of team they are yet. Yeah, it could it be that it's sort of the Louisiana and Georgia State are sort of both sort of that same type of team that with all the big-time talent, just not quite healthy enough, so not quite there. It may take a few more games before they start getting it, getting it rolling. Like, I can't speak for ULM. ULM seems to be playing over their heads right now. They seem to be playing really well. But I do know that the records don't indicate that Georgia State and Louisiana is going to be are going to be dominating teams in the Sun Belt. But on paper, it just seems impossible that these teams aren't going to be very good in the Sun Belt. So maybe it is just the injuries that are coming up. I know Georgia State had some COVID in uh, COVID in uh, issues. Did you see any of that Mississippi State game with Georgia State? Yeah, yeah, I did, and it was it was um, one of those scenarios as well where we've seen you know. A similar uh, similar issues, you know, team, you know, multiple guys not shooting very well. You've had multiple senior super seniors come back, um, and and you know, you've had all Sun Belt level guys not playing to their capabilities, not playing to their career numbers, and I think that's been extremely disappointing. Um, you know, Corey Allen's one of the best shooters uh, in the Sun Belt, and when he doesn't shoot well, there's not a whole lot um, that you know other guys stepping forward. I mean, they. They, what was kind of incredible to me, I mean, they, they played every single person that was dressed. So all 14 guys uh, saw action in that Mississippi State game and just still generated 50 points in 40 minutes. Um, just cannot shoot the ball uh, consistently from three. Um, you know, it's in one of these scenarios as well. They're, they're turning the ball over at a high rate. They're fouling a lot. Uh, just doing the little things uh, right now to lose basketball games and, and uh, very interested to see uh, what happens next, as I mentioned with Georgia Tech uh, coming up, and then when um, you know when Sun Belt play starts, they head your way, Jeremy. They they head straight to uh, Arkansas to do the uh, Arkansas double dip. They do uh, have Arkansas State uh, and then Little Rock as well. So I love hearing that Simi's. I love hearing that Simi's not going to be made available because if one thing that the Arkansas State Red Wolves have trouble with, it's a big guy in the middle. So knowing that that maybe we won't have to see him uh, makes me pretty happy. We talked a little bit about what we had, Tusty and I had called Super Tuesday, which was uh, Georgia uh, State at Mississippi State and Louisiana was at number 13 or number 12 Houston, number 14 Houston. Arkansas State was at number 25 Texas Tech. So we're all like kind of like focused on certain games. And um, I was watching that uh, Arkansas State game, of course, uh, and Arkansas State had gone down by 20 at the half. Uh, the Tech had come up with a big run. And I really felt really worried about Arkansas State moving forward into the uh, in, into conference play. 
seeing what I was seeing on the court. But then something happened in the second half that gave me some hope. We ended up losing by 13 to Texas Tech, which we didn't expect really to win that game. We expected to do, we had hoped to do, you know, well enough to, to, to at least make it respectable. Uh, the team had, like you were talking about, your leading scorer was having trouble. Desi Sills at Arkansas State couldn't buy a shot. I think he was 0 for 6 from the field. I think he had three points total, all free throws. But he was finding ways to contribute. You know, he was making steals. He, he, he led in assists. So there were ways that the Red Wolves were, even if they were struggling at what they were good at, they're finding ways to do stuff that they weren't good at. So I was actually pretty excited with the end result against Texas Tech. Uh, Red Wolves came away today with a win against Air Force, which uh, the net rankings, the two teams are very similar, but it was a big win for Arkansas State in that uh, it, it was, I think, a, by 20 points. So Arkansas State feels ready for the Sun Belt. Um, I think they're eight and three now. Uh, fairly good record. Yes, against some pretty soft competition. They finish off OOC with Harding. I believe that because of COVID, they had to switch from champion Christian, who we all love. We all love champion Christian. Those guys are the best. And now we're playing Harding, which is about similar competition. So you, I, I, yep. oh, I was going to say, I'll tell you the team, though, that I think is kind of sneaking up on people this year is Georgia Southern. They got another big non-conference win there over yeah. Campbell, old SoCon matchup. Yeah. I really like this kid, Kamari Brown. Had 16 points which was a season high in that game. He's had double-digit scoring in six of their ten games. I really like this team. He, he's no Tukey, but, but he is another team that we are all going to grow to not want to hear, and we're going to hear it a lot during the season. I, I know. As soon as he said Brown, I start thinking, Tukey? Is he talking about Tukey? Tukey can't still be there, can he? But, yeah, Georgia man. Southern, man, those guys, they always seem to come up with, with players out of the woodwork. So, yeah, that's a team to look out for. Ben, who do you see? Who do you think we have to look out for? Yeah, I think a team that we keep mentioning, I keep forgetting almost that they won the regular season last year. Is, you know, they, they've got some pedigree, right? Like, yes. I, I, that's, that's the one team that I want to see. All right. Was that a COVID asterisk season, the regular season, only playing that West schedule, not playing anybody from the East and, um, you know, get, getting, you know, shuttled yeah. out pretty quick in the, in, in the Sun Belt tournament, um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm very interested to see what they're made of. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I, I think Georgia Southern is an interesting uh, story. I mean, this is, you know, basically second year head coach, uh, got some of those guys that were in there with Mark Byington. They're, they're gone now, uh, kind of trying to put his stamp on the program. I, I think there's going to be a lot of teams in the middle kind of, kind of duking it out. And I think you're going to see uh, more teams than not who, if they can find their way past that splitting the Thursday, Saturday games, if they can get, you know, Hey, if they can go to Arkansas and try to sweep or go to Texas and try to sweep, um, you know, go to the Carolinas. I mean, that's, um, you know, we've seen Carolina has been sneaky good, even though I see they, uh, they have uh, yeah. dropped one today, in Tennessee state. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're a tough uh, club as well. So I think there's a lot of folks kind of fighting, clawing, scratching where, you know, we're going to know a whole lot more in the middle to end of January than we know now, um, now that you don't have any non-Division One teams or NAI schools that you can, you know, pad your resume against. Uh, it, they all count now uh, moving forward after this weekend. Do you think the way Tibbs and I believe, do you think South Alabama is right now the best team in the Sunday? They definitely look the most balanced. I mean, they, they, that's the biggest thing that I've seen. Um, they have some impressive guys uh, on the roster, and, and we know how how hard Richie Riley hit the uh, you know hit the transfer portal and, and grab guys. That's the biggest thing too with the portal is you got to you know blend those teams together. You got to have the guys, and the chemistry has to develop. But South has done a great job. Credit to Richie Riley and that staff, and they've been the one program uh, that just kind of feels like they've been there. They had a you know, big win streak uh, certainly last season in, in the COVID year, and then it just hit hit stopped. Uh, they lost the game at home to Georgia State and kind of fell apart after that, and, and that was that was seemingly the end of their run. But um, you know, I, I, I like them a lot, um, offensively, defensively. They're going to be very, very tough. I'll tell you another sneaky team. Also, you had mentioned COVID earlier. Appalachian State benefited from that, getting to go to Cameron Indoor Arena to play Duke. Not a bad showing. I don't think the school board really showed how good that game was, 
and, and really it kind of reminded everyone how Coach K's teams can just flip the switch and, and turn on the afterburners. Appalachian State got it within one point, I believe, right before the half. Next thing you know, they're down 13. And, and, and so they get another chance to really put the Sunbelt Conference basketball on the stage, on the national stage. They get to go to North Carolina. They get to play both of the, the big powerhouse conferences coming up this upcoming week. Texas State, they get to go to Phi Gamma Slamma and, and, and face the Cougars as well this week. The big game I have circled, Troy is going to Macon to face Mercer. It's the Sun Belt's last hope. Oh my that God. The Bears Can we don't find a way to win Belt. against Mercer. Oh. So no mercy I, for Mercer. If I had the Troy t shirt, it would be on this week. <laughs> uh, too bad. And you know what? Troy has not been as, as the train wreck as we thought, or, or at least kind of Scott Frost sort of. Uh, led us to believe they could be. They've actually uh, played some very competent basketball. To me, the only team out there playing just gross, grotesque basketball is UA Little Rock. I mean, they seem to be the only program that's not picking up their weight, which uh, it seems ironic considering that last week they've announced that they're moving on to the, what was it, the Ohio Valley. Uh, so it's, it's, it, they seem to be leaving on a very low no- note, and that's too bad. That's that's a that's a program that's been with the Sun Belt for 30 years. We wish them the best, but to see them go this way, it's almost a little little. It's just too bad. Mavs are pretty pretty struggling on the struggle bus as well. Three and seven right now. Just I I tried to watch a little bit of their games, and it's just not good basketball right now being played there. Mm-hmm. So we got two programs that are basketball only that seem to be on the way out that are, are, are not leaving in a blaze of glory, a, an inglorious end to some pretty, uh, pretty, pretty uh, momental, momentous chapters uh, for these two programs. I, maybe they do something in the Sun Belt, I don't know, but right now they don't seem to be, to be in that, it, 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 on that trajectory. And they're the yeah. only two teams below 500. <sighs> yeah, they can't do that to us. We got to get rid of those guys. Oh, I guess we are. Tibbs, what is, what else do we have on the agenda to talk about? Women's basketball made a huge statement win. Tell me about Roy it. Roy went to Stark Vegas, uh-huh. 73-66 over the SEC Bulldogs. Damn. Trojans shot 38% from the floor, but the big thing out-rebounded Mississippi State 60-39. to <laughs> And the, the crazy stat that you always look at in basketball is how many possessions do you have and then how many points are you getting off each possession? Troy, mm-hmm. 75 possessions, 73 points, so pretty much a point per possession. Incredible. That's incredible. That is absolutely nice. Any other uh, women's basketball highlights to point to? How's still, Georgia State? Still ongoing as we speak. <laughs> Your Raging Cajuns are beating Louisiana Tech 63-45 late in the fourth period of the uh, of the game there on a Sunday afternoon. It's another big win, big in-state win. Louisiana Tech, obviously the big storied women's basketball program. Louisiana Lafayette always fighting for kind of that in-state dominance of every sport, and, sure. and this is just them pouring it on a, another school. Well, we do like it when the Sun Belt beats Tech. We always do enjoy that. So uh, let's uh, let's celebrate in that. Ben, what do you got? Yeah, I, I, it, it has been a struggle uh, for for the Panthers, uh, the Lady Panthers. <laughs> uh, they're hosting a a, a, a a holiday classic uh, this weekend. Had Tulsa, who was undefeated. That was certainly a good uh, non-conference get, um, and uh, had played. Played up. Uh, he went to went to go um, run, run up to Tennessee and, and play in the Vols uh, there. Georgia State has uh, done well in Tennessee, so anytime the uh, the Vol faithful uh, saw uh, the blue and white of Georgia State, they rolled their eyes and head uh, not only from the football game in 2019, but uh, in spring the baseball team went up and uh, had, had a little fall ball action up there in, in the Chattanooga Lookout Stadium and took care of the Vols too. So um, not not sure how many more times. 
Tennessee wants to play Georgia State, but uh, the Vols, Lady Vols, did take care of business there. Um, and uh, you know, it, again, another another kind of health issue. Looking Panthers, looking to get some starters back uh, on the women's side of things and get healthy for Sun Belt play. Um, and uh, finish up that holiday classic today with Charleston Southern. So, um, you know, trying to get some momentum. And I think that's the biggest thing ultimately with every team, right? You're trying yeah. to get this, get some momentum and spell play because that's, uh, as they call it, is ring season. Well, you know, in Ar- at Arkansas State, we had a little bit of turnover at the, on the women's side. Uh, uh, I, I forget how long Matt Daniels has been there, either two or three seasons. Matt Daniels decided to step aside uh, and his new uh, or his second in command, a woman named Desiree or Destiny, sorry, not Desiree, Destiny Rogers took over, uh, got her first win that evening, the night, the, the very day that Matt Daniels uh, resigned. They are currently beating Hendricks 98 to 48. So that's a very good turnaround. But what's significant really about uh, Destiny Rogers taking the helm, she is the first African American woman to record, record a win as head coach for the Red Wolves. And so that is to be applauded. Uh, I'm sure that the Red Wolves will be looking deep for a new head coach for the women's program. I hope Destiny Rogers is a name that is, is among the top contenders. I think the team has really responded to her. Love to see a little more diversity on the Red Wolves coaching staff. That would be great for us, and especially when it's somebody like Desti- or Destiny who really knows how to put those X's and O's together. So congratulations for the Red Wolves. Dusty, got anything else? It's cold outside, which means it's also time for baseball season. Mm-hmm. And baseball schedules are out and about. Yeah. A lot of teams in the Sun Belt facing NCAA regional teams, which is always good for the RPI rankings that way for the possibility yeah. of getting at large, at large bids. Mm-hmm. I can, say, Arca- I can yeah. say Arkansas State has some meaty matchups. Well, you know, Arkansas State has, has some, some pretty good matchups there. Five opponents that were in regionals this past mm-hmm. year and four against the SEC, a home-and-home home with Ole Miss yeah. at Arkansas, yeah. at Stanford in Birmingham, yeah. and then Southeast Missouri, another NCAA regional team. The team to me that looks like they are on a mission, or there's two teams actually to me that look like they're really on a mission. Georgia Southern plays three regional teams, one of which was in the College World Series, mm-hmm. opening up straight out of the gate at number six, Tennessee. Going to Georgia Tech, or excuse me, Georgia Tech goes to them, going to Central Florida, three games against Georgia and at Florida State. Louisiana Lafayette. Straight out of the gate, they host UC Irvine. They were in the finals of NCAA Regional and almost beat Stanford, who did go to the the College World Series. Taking part in the Round Rock Invitational Tournament against Stanford again, Indiana and Arkansas. The normal in-state games against Louisiana Tech, LSU, again, more NCAA Regional teams. Hosting Houston, hosting Southern Miss, traveling to Rice. They, they are definitely going to position themselves for a high RPI ranking, and that will really help the Sun Belt as a whole as well. Georgia State kind of taking a different approach, playing everybody in the state. They play every D1 team in the state of Georgia. Is Mercer on there? D2 school. Yep. Oh, oh, get away from Mercer. Run. They're a Sun Belt killer. They're killing us all. <laughs> great great program, great facility down there in Macon as well. Um, great, great to go get some barbecue yeah it's in terms of arkansas state has not had a good baseball program in many years i'm actually pretty stoked about the uh, scheduling it was funny that you brought that up tibbs because when, when i received the schedule uh not only did i see some really kind of neat out of conference stuff but we've got the cajuns and coastal coming to jonesboro too so if you're a baseball fan in Jonesboro, you're going to love the schedule coming up. We, I think we host Ole Miss at the beginning of the year. we got Memphis coming in, which is always a nice little rivalry. So baseball f- fanatics, uh, this is the schedule that y- you should be salivating for. Now, I don't know if the talent is there to do a lot of damage. I've heard we've gotten some pretty good recruits, but you just never know until they get on the field. 
you never know. And then th- there's always kind of the oddball of, you know, you have guys signing right now for baseball. They're obviously going to sit out this entire season while they're still in high school if they're high school kids. So you won't even see them for another year after that. And then if they redshirt two years after that. So it's so hard to be excited about a kid that signs knowing that the earliest you're going to see him is another year away. Mm-hmm. So are we going to and, see any, any, are we going to see some, especially the, the super high guys, you, do they get drafted? You know, that that's an issue that, that we've seen in some of the, you know, some of the, I know with Georgia state, Georgia Southern, both have lost guys uh, to the draft and a couple other schools as well. Uh, I think honestly, college baseball is probably one of the hardest sports to recruit too, because you have, you know, that early signing period, they go through their season. Like, like you said, um, in the spring, basically, they have to obviously, you know, they blow up, get bigger, you know, bigger and badder. Do they have an opportunity to, to get, um, you know, basically drafted? I know the draft has shrunk now in Major League Baseball, kind of cut in half. But ultimately, then what? If you're a coach and you lose a guy uh, in the draft, then you're scrambling, right? you got to go the junior college route or go guys that are way down your board, who's available, and things like that. It really is a challenge. So you almost have to constantly recruit and re-recruit even your signees, uh, some of your top signees there. It, it's one of those very interesting dynamics and, and credit to those those teams who are able to uh, to keep uh, the, the very, very good players. And, and, and you mentioned that about re- constantly recruiting. So last year during the COVID year, when MLB kind of broke their spring training camp, the Astros went with having part of their spring training at Minute Maid Park, the other half at University of Houston. When we went there to go, go do all the setup for everything, getting ready, everyone's like, man, these, these facilities are really nicer than what we have in West Palm Beach and, and you know, for our major league guys. Why, why is that? I said, look, if, if, if you're already at West Palm Beach, you're already signed. You know, in, in the words of the program, oh, we already got you. You're just a freshman now. Whereas you have to try to commit or get a kid that's 17 to 20 years old to come to your school for three years. You got to have the nice facilities, the nice things, the nice stuff in order to get those guys on your campus and in your program and keep them in your program. Especially when the and getting the same thing offered as the national programs, you know, because it is equivalency sport. I try to tell people all the time, it's not the same scholarship. You're not offering the one-for-one one like you are in basketball or football. So, you know, you may be going and getting great recruits that you may be offering a third of a scholarship for or a fourth of a scholarship to. Um, so even the bigger boys schools, they may be offering even less. Here's an eighth or a sixth or, you know, differing, differing fractions. Um, I think that's the interesting part ultimately with that sport and how the dynamics work. Um, I know there is at least talk um, that they're hoping to try to have maybe some more scholarship, you know, numbers moving forward. But as it sits right now, it's, you still have, you know, a, a, again, what 20 to 25 guys that are going to be on that, on that, what 13 and a, and a, and a half scholarships or whatever the number are. It's, it, it's very, very uh, limited and, and you have to be, um, you know, economical basically with what you're handing out. Yeah, and, and, you know, the most I've ever heard of a, a kid getting on baseball scholarship is 97%. The rest was kind of a Pell Grant that they got to put them over the top. But a lot of states like Louisiana, Georgia, leveraged their educational systems. Louisiana has tops where as long as you have a certain GPA test score, you get four years of in-state college tuition. Same thing with the Hope Scholarship there in Georgia. Um, I think Arkansas has something yep, kind sure. of similar yep. to that. But, yeah, that, that's definitely that you have a lot of – air quote, walk-ons for baseball. That way you can get those out-of-state kids in for baseball to give them a little bit more than what your in-state kids need or require. Jeremy, you look completely lost with us talking scholarships. (laughs) When you two start start talking scholarships, that's when I know I need to phase out. (laughs) I didn't get a scholarship. I I was one of those walk-ons that Dusty talked about. Uh, yeah, it was it was waiting tables and uh, working in a mail store. So, yeah, uh, we, know, we know all about the, uh, the non-scholarship guys. That was one of those. Well, now, so then this is sort of the exciting time of year. This is the time of year when baseball, football, and basketball are all relevant in some different way. So we should all be excited, but mostly I want to wish you guys a very Merry Christmas. This is the first 
season of Fun Belt Podcast. We've almost concluded the football season. I know we're going to conclude with a majestic win over the MAC, with Georgia State delivering the goods over Ball State, my hated enemy from the MAC. So I appreciate that. And I'm again, Dusty and I are putting it all on you, Ben Moore. If you do not deliver this win, you're going to have to have a lot of explaining before the tribunal because we yeah. will we will be questioning you left and right. But also, what's fascinating to me is now that Sun Belt conference play in basketball is coming up. That is something that I look forward to for the first time maybe in a long time, and only because my Red Bulls seem to be playing pretty well. So I, they don't have to win the championship. They don't. I just need them to be entertaining enough for me to get me through until baseball season starts picking up too. And then I can be excited. I would love to be excited about baseball too. So I don't know. I can't speak for all of you, but I am hoping that for my Red Wolves and I'm wishing you a very Merry Christmas. And if you guys have any parting shots, I will take them as Christmas gifts. I will receive them. Tibbs, give me your Christmas gift. I just hope we all go out and compete well um, and, and, and give 110% during the holiday Christmas. No. Attitudes. Oh, now, no. Guys, <laughs> look, I mean, we're, we're wrapping up our first year. It's been great. It's been a great learning experience. It's fantastic with you guys. I'm going to miss you all over these two weeks that we kind of have a break for Christmas and New Year's. But then when we come back, it's basketball season, baseball season, and we pick right back up. I know there's some talks about me and Ben talking about some recruiting, uh, Sunbelt Conference-wide, as well as kind of breaking down the signing classes there in February. That'll also lump in these December signees as well. A lot of stuff in store for the show, guys. We just there, – there's so much to do and no time to do it, especially when we have full-time jobs. So sponsors pony up so that we can uh, focus a little bit more on Fun Belt Podcast and, and uh, you know, continue to grow the show. Full intentions of being in Pensacola, at least for that semifinal game that weekend. Hate that the championship game is on a Monday night. Because mm. even if I was there, I would hate to be stuck inside in Pensacola on a Monday night and not at the beach. But that's okay. just me. Okay. As always, Warhawk Report. Got to find time to finish breaking down the December signees that the, that the Warhawks had, as well as making sure that all the information is out there for what we will be doing in February, as well as looking ahead to conference starting in basketball. Then give me a parting shot, but it's not a parting shot. Again, it's a, it's a Christmas miracle that I want you to give to us and to the world. Let's hear it. A Christmas the, the miracle. We'll, we'll, we'll start there. Now, as, as you guys echoed, man, I'm, I'm, uh, it's been a pleasure uh, so far, we're wrapping up here 2021, uh, looking forward to an exciting 2022. Credit to both of you guys, obviously, for, for bringing it on this. The guest list that we have gotten has been tremendous. That's been uh, the overwhelming response that we've we've heard on PantherTot.com and even across the Twitterverse and things like that. Some guys that, um, you know, as we know, we're, we're laser focused, obviously, on the Sun Belt. It's the conference that we know and, and uh, are a part of. But, you know, the movers and shakers and, and, and you know, people that – that we that their folks and fans across you know that I, I've gotten feedback already from the Georgia State community. Hey, I didn't know about that. I, I didn't. I had never heard about that. I can pay attention to that other program. I learned a lot uh, from matchups. But we'll be previewing uh, on PantherDot.com. Obviously, the big in-state matchup uh, on Tuesday night with Georgia Tech, uh, that trade school over there on North Avenue. Hopefully, <laughs> getting a huge ACC victory. Um, of course, the bowl game next Saturday on Christmas Day, two thirty. Uh, and, and a lead in there as well, being an Atlanta guy, uh, you know, the Atlanta Hawks are on national television, which is very, very strange. Uh, they play at noon uh, that day on ESPN. So then just slides right in there uh, for the Panthers and the Ball State Cardinals. And uh, we'll, we'll be uh, looking for a big, uh, big Panther victory. And then as, as you guys mentioned, excited to, to re reconvene and, and talk about uh, the Sun Belt's first weekend um, and of uh, conference play and then see who got off to a good start. Maybe who those who maybe have uh, bumped their knee on the way in and uh, need some, have some work to do obviously in January, but uh, looking forward to a, uh, 
a happy and healthy uh, Christmas and the holiday season for all you guys. And uh, just excited uh, to continue to rock and roll in 2022. I, I would like to follow up, or maybe even conclude with, with similar sentiments. I want to thank Thibodeau for assembling these Avengers. If it weren't for, for Tibbs uh, and his hard work and his hard recruiting, this would have never happened. He had the vision. Thank you, Dusty Thibodeau, for bringing it all together. Uh, I, I do look forward to an incredible Sunbelt season of one, a basketball, two, off-season football, three, some baseball cooking up, and then whatever else comes up. You know, even like the NFL draft, I get like really jonesed up for. Not for day one, because that's not the day for the Sun Belt. Not for day two or day three, because that's generally not the time for the Sun Belt. But the remainder of days after that, I really do enjoy that. So I, I do look forward to what's coming up with Fun Belt Podcast. And hopefully we'll get, uh, we, we will continue rolling with more guests. In the meantime, if you guys could check out uh, howraiser.com, have a very disappointing story about former Sunbelt coach Blake Anderson. What's going on at UT, UT, or, uh, UT, Utah State and uh, some of the comments that were made in terms of uh, uh, sexual assault and maybe how, he, how his guys need to handle that. Uh, you can read the story. I'm not very wild about ever having to say anything negative about BA but it wasn't his finest moment. So for Fun Belt Podcast, my name's Jeremy Harper. He's Dusty Thibodeau. The other guy is Ben Moore, and we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a safe, a very safe New Year's. If you need to uh, call an Uber or call a friend, please do. I think the whole world would appreciate it. Thank you very much, guys.